Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. All right, well, it's a new year, which means it's time for us to start a brand new series, and I'm really excited to start this new series. I've been praying and planning and preparing and studying for four months now, and I can't wait to share with you something that's very important and very personal to me, and that is the Holy Spirit. Yes, that's right. I said I said the Holy Spirit, and some of my charismatic friends are like, yes, let's do this. Right? I've been praying and waiting for the moment that you're going to teach on the Holy Spirit, and so we're really excited. And other my more traditional friends you are like, oh no, okay, what did I get myself into? Are you sure this is redemption or did I walk into the crazy church? Like, like what's going to happen? And so I'm going to set, uh, uh, set both of you at ease. I'll make you a couple of promises. Okay, the first promise I'll make you is this. There will be no tambourines in our church, okay? That's a promise that if you get excited and you think, I'm going to bring a tambourine next week. No, you won't. We're going to check you at the door, okay? Our ushers and greeters, they're they're looking for three things, tambourines, banners, and flags, okay? And and so you might use those at home, and that's great, but but here, right, they're going to watch you at the door. So no tambourines. That's my first promise. The second promise I'll make you is this, that I will not wear a white suit, sit on a gold throne, have a TV ministry, and take up 14 offerings to fund my private jet, okay? Because I don't have a private jet, and so you don't have to worry about that either. But I really am excited to teach you about the Holy Spirit. And so before we get started, I do have a confession that I have to make. Okay, here's, here, here's my, con- my confession. Well, well, first let me say I love you. I really do. I, I love you. And I hope that over the past um, year and a half that we've been to church, you would know that I, I, I do love you. And it is one of the greatest privileges of my life to be able to serve at this church. I love being your pastor. And you give me the privilege to be able to do what I love the most, which is to teach the Bible. And so thank you for that. Some of you, you've been a part of our church since the very beginning. Some of you, you've been here and, and, and you've grown. And I love seeing what Jesus is doing in your life. Some of you, you're, you're new to the church. You've been kind of jumped in along the way. Maybe you've been visiting. Maybe you've been hanging out with us for a couple of months. Some of you, this is your very first week and you're wondering, oh no, like where's he, where's he going with this? But I, I really want you to know that I love you and that I care for you. And I hope, I hope that you would trust me. Do you trust me? Okay, that can be a scary question, can it? Right? Um, I hope that you know that I love you and I hope that you would trust me and I hope that you would, you would listen to me. And so here's, here's my confession. My confession is this, that I am reformed and Pentecostal. That I'm reformed in that I believe in the sovereignty of God for salvation and I'm Pentecostal in that I believe that the Holy Spirit empowers believers to carry on the mission. Reformed, Pentecostal, predestined before the foundations of the world to speak in tongues. I am charismatic and I take communion. I believe in expositional preaching and prophetic declaration. I believe in doctrine and I believe in devotion. I believe in total depravity and total dependence on God. That I believe that this is who God wants us to be as a church. And I do not believe that diversity needs to lead to division. And some people would say that those things are contradictions. They would say, you can't, you can't hold to both at the same time. They would say, you can't preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible and still expect spirit-filled worship. They would say, you can't pray for somebody to get healed and pray for God's will to be done. They would say, you can't have liturgical prayers and spontaneous worship. They would say that those things are contradictions. And I would say that you are a contradiction because we can and we will and we have welcome to redemption. Preach it. 
And I believe that this is the type of church that Jesus longs for. I believe that this is the type of church that Jesus dreamed of when he walked on the earth. And, and, and I'll show it to you. There's a story in John's gospel where Jesus meets a woman at the well. Some of you may be familiar with this story. And that the woman at the well, she was a, a Samaritan. And Jesus and his disciples, of course, they were Jewish. Now, Samaritans and Jews, they were completely opposite of, of, of one another. Okay, they were about as different as Baptists and Pentecostals. And I can say that because my wife is Baptist and I'm, and I'm Pentecostal, so I understand the conflict there. And so, um, so the Samaritans, they worshiped in their certain way. That they, they worshiped in a temple over in this place and they worshiped in this way and they even had their own translation of the Bible. Now, Jews, they worshiped in another place in another way with their own translation of the Bible. And so when Jesus goes to this Samaritan woman, he begins to teach her and talk to her and she has some resistance towards him. And she tries to change the subject and she brings up one of a religious issue and she says, well, okay, well, the Samaritans worship here and, and the Jews worship here. and They worship this way and we worship this way. Which way is the correct way? And I love what Jesus says to her. This is how Jesus says it. He says, God is what? What's the word? God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. truth. Spirit and truth. truth. Spirit and truth. Now, you can go to some churches and you get a lot of spirit and very little truth. In other churches, you can get a lot of truth, but very little spirit. And that church seems to have had to make a compromise one or the other. That we're either going to be a spirit church or we're going to be a true church, but we can't be both. And I think that's not true. That some churches you go to, it's all spirits, right? Worship's like an hour and a half long. Everybody's prophesying and everybody's praying and everybody's got goosebumps and speaking in tongues and it's all spirits. Okay, but very little truth. That sermon's like 10 minutes. Don't really get much a lot of the word, right? Because it's a spirit church. But other churches you go to, and it's all truth. Word, word, Bible, Bible, Bible. For them, the Holy Trinity is Father, Son, Holy Bible, right? And, and so they, they want to teach the book, but we don't really want to talk about the spirit because when he shows up, things get kind of weird. And so it's all truth. Bible, 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 Bible. And we love the Bible, but we also believe that there is spirit. And we want to be a church that worships God in spirit and truth. And I believe this is the type of church that Jesus wants us to be. And I believe that this is the type of church that Jesus dreams of. A church that worships in spirit and truth. So what does it look like for a church to worship in spirit and truth? Great question. Glad you asked. Because we're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at what it means for a redemption church to be this type of church that worships in both spirit and in truth. And I subtitled this sermon series, A Second Look at the Third Person of the Trinity. I want us to look again at what the Bible teaches about who the Holy Spirit is. And I'll be honest with you, during my time of studies, getting ready, praying and preparing, I've been very challenged. I've been very challenged. I've been very encouraged. I've also been very convicted. I've been convicted about how I, how I learn and how I use and how I trust the Spirit to move in our church and our life. And so I've been very convicted. And I would pray that you would be encouraged, challenged, and convicted during this series as well. Because there's some things that I thought I knew about the Holy Spirit that upon reading, probably not. There are some things that I thought were wrong about what the Spirit wants to do, which turns out that I was wrong. And there's some things that I thought were right. Turns out I was not right. And so I've been very encouraged, convicted, and challenged. And I pray that you would too. So my charismatic friends, 
Okay, where are my charismatic friends? Raise your hands. I know you want to because you love to raise your hands. Charismatic people love raising their hands. Okay, good. This is going to be good for you because you love to worship. You love to get excited. You love to be passionate. And I want you to know that the Spirit loves those things, but the Spirit does so much more than cause you to speak in tongues and get goosebumps when your favorite song comes on. Okay, so this is going to be good for you because it can remind you what the Spirit does in your life. Now, where are my more traditional friends? You don't have to raise your hands because I know you don't want to because they don't like to raise their hands. Okay, my more traditional friends. It's going to be good for you too because what you're going to see is that there is more to God than what you previously thought possible. That God wants to do something in your life. That God wants to do something through you and he's going to use the Holy Spirit to teach you, to lead you, to guide you and to do those things. And so this is going to be good for all of us. And so for the next seven weeks, I pray that you would listen to me. I pray that you would, you, you would learn with us and I pray that you would suspend any presuppositions or judgments that you may have and we let the book do the work for us. And so if you got your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 14. We're going to turn to the Bible. We're going to read the Bible. We've got a lot of Bible today. And so we're going to let the Bible teach us what God says about the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to read Jesus' words because it starts with Jesus. And so John chapter 14, verse 15, we'll look at Jesus' teaching. I've titled this sermon, The Promise of the Holy Spirit. So while you're finding your place, let me go ahead and bring you up to speed with where we're at. Jesus is alone with his disciples in the upper room. This is the last day. This is um, the last hours of Jesus' life. In just a moment, Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to be arrested, tried, and he will be crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. And this is the last thing that he's teaching his disciples, that they are alone in the upper room, 12 men, spent the last three years doing life together, traveling around, preaching, teaching, healing, performing miracles, seeing Jesus do amazing signs and wonders, and he just tells them for the first time the ultimate reason that he came. He tells them, I'm not going to be with you forever. In fact, I'm fixing to die. And then I'm going to resurrect from the grave. I'm going to send to the Father and I'm going to trust my mission to you, my people. That I'm going to give you this mission and you're going to take the word, you're going to take the works that I have done and you're going to spread them all across the world and I'm handing my role to you. Now in this moment, the disciples, they feel overwhelmed. They feel anxious, they feel exhausted, they feel scared and, and worried. Right? How are they going to do this? How is this going to make any sense? How is this going to be possible that 11 ordinary men would change the world? How is this possible? And Jesus says, I'm going to give you the helper. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so one of the last promises Jesus makes is to his disciples, and it's the first promise that Jesus makes to you and I today. Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's how he says it. I'm going to read it all. And then we're going to break it down on the back end. So here's what it says in John 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give to you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet for a little while, the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And whoever loves me will be loved by the Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I love this. Judas, not Iscariot. Okay, just had to put that in there. It's not that Judas. Could you imagine being named Judas? You're like, hi, I'm Judas. Ooh, I heard about you. Oh, not that Judas, different one. Um, and so this is Judas, not Iscariot. The other Judas had already left the upper room to betray Jesus. 
And so Judas is with him, and Judas asks this, Lord, how is it that you will manifest or reveal yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And he will come to him, and he will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me and does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I was still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you that I am going away. And I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now that I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. That's Satan. And he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. Can you imagine what the disciples must be experiencing at that time? Can you imagine the weight? Can you imagine the worry? Can you feel the fear, the uncertainty, and the anxiety? The disciples just learned that their best friend, their Messiah, is going to be murdered. That they have spent the last three years with them and then he's going to leave them. And so they're in that upper room and they're questioning and wondering, God, what are you doing? And, and think about it. What do you think is going through their mind? You can't leave us. Seriously, you can't leave us. Like, you can't die. What do you mean you're going to die? We've seen you raise people from the dead. You can't die. Right? You can't leave us. We've left everything to follow you. We've given up our jobs. We've left our homes. We've moved our families. We have nothing. We have no money. We have nowhere. We have no one. The religious leaders hate us. The Roman government opposes us. No money, nowhere. And if you leave us, we have no one. You can't leave us. Can you imagine what the disciples must be feeling in that moment? Some of you, you don't have to imagine very hard. Some of you, that's exactly how you feel today. That, that you, you come here and, and you, you wonder, did God leave me? Has God forgotten me? Has God abandoned me? Has God left me? Has God walked out on me? Some of you, you know exactly how the disciples are feeling because it's how you feel. You have doubt. You have despair. You have depression. And so you understand what they're, what they're feeling because you, you, you feel that too. Some of you, it's relational struggles. It's financial hardships. It's disappointments. It's disillusionments. It's hurts and hardships. And so you feel exactly what the disciples feel. We don't have to imagine very hard because we've all been in that upper room moment in our own lives. But the natural tendency for us when those moments come is for us to think that God has forgotten us. The natural tendency for us is to think that God has abandoned us or that God has left us or that God must not be true or his promises must not be true. And we can look at other people's lives and we can say, well, his promises seem true for them, but they don't seem true for me, that God has forgotten me. And I want you to know that is not the case. I want you to know that Jesus actually teaches something completely opposite. Here's what he says in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. You're not an orphan. He has not forgotten you. He has not turned his back on you. He has not abandoned you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as 
orphans. He goes on and says, I will come to you. Yet in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father and that you are in me and that I am in you. That Jesus is with the Father and the Father is with the Son and then that we are with Jesus. And what he's talking about here is he's talking about a relationship. Did you know that God desires relationship with us? Jesus is speaking of relationship. Now, so many Christians, they go through life alone. And and they tend to think of salvation in regards of that Jesus saves me from my sins. And that if I give my life to Jesus, when I die, I get to go to heaven. And while that's all true, there really is a lot more to life than that. There's a lot more to it. And we tend to think that, okay, Jesus saves me from my sins. While true, Jesus also does something else. He not only saves you from your sins, he also saves you to a relationship with him. That he desires relationship with us. And so, so we, we tend to think in regards of only salvation from sins. We don't think of salvation to him. And when we think about relationship, sometimes it's hard to understand who God is. And to be honest, the church has complicated things for a very long time, and I don't think it needs to be as complicated as we tend to make it. So let's just think about relationship in very personal and very practical ways. What does it look like to be in a relationship? Well, first, you like to talk to them, right? You can tell who you love by who you talk to, because communication is a demonstration of our affection. It, because you love somebody, you want to you talk to them, so we can talk to God. We call that prayer. That we can go to God and we can talk to Him and we can tell Him what's on our heart, what's on our mind. We can tell Him what we're going through. We can make requests of Him and we can talk to God. But did you know that God also wants to talk to you? That God loves to talk to us. Now, the primary way that God talks to us is through His Scriptures. That if you ever need a word from God, all you have to do is read the Word of God. And that God speaks to us through His Bible because that's how He's revealed Himself. This is the all-perfect, sufficient, satisfying Word of God. And so we can trust that. But God also wants to speak to us in very personal ways. That God does speak to us, that God does lead us, and that God does prompt us, and God does love us. And so we serve a God who likes to speak. And He does so in very personal and relational ways. How else do you know you're in a relationship? Well, you like to spend time with one another. Okay? You, you, you want to be around them. And so we can be around, we can be close, we can be with God. We do it through silence, we do it through solitude, we do this through meditation, we do this through public gatherings, and we also do it through our private devotions. So we can be with God. Me and Ashley, one of our favorite things to do is just to sit on the couch, uh, and we don't really say anything, we just like to know each other's close. And that's how our relationship with God can be, that we can go to Him, even when we don't have words. We can just spend time with him. And as we draw near to him, he draws near to us because God wants to be with you. That God loves it when you come to him. That God loves it when you want to spend time with him. What else? We're generous towards each other, right? We, we like to give gifts. We like to, we, we like to be generous towards one another and say, hey, this is what I got. And God says, hey, this is what I got. And I want this for you because God is generous. Because God's a good father. He loves us as his kids. And the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from... God. Why? Because we are in relationship with him. And so Jesus makes this promise. Jesus promises his disciples. He tells them that I have 
come to love the Father, to live the perfect life, to die the death in your place, that I'm going to, to, to be buried for the forgiveness of your sins, that I'm going to resurrect from the grave, that I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and I'm going to be with him, and he's going to be with me, and we're going to be in relationship with one another, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so that way you can have a relationship with us, and that I will be in him, and he will be in me, and that you will be in us, and because I live, you will live, and I'll give you the Holy Spirit as proof of this relationship, that the Spirit is the guarantee of our salvation, that it is the the seal of our redemption to know that we are loved. And Jesus promises the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will will live in you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. The Holy Spirit will guide you. The Holy Spirit will direct you. That the Holy Spirit will give you new passions, new purposes, new powers, new destinies, new identities. The Holy Spirit creates in us new community and he gives us the strength to do what was never possible before. And all of this is available to you through the power, the presence, and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So who is the Holy Spirit? What does this look like for us? Why is this promise so important? Well, here's six things that Jesus teaches us about the Holy Spirit. The first thing that Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit is all about loving Jesus. The Holy Spirit is all about loving Jesus. Okay, the trick to understanding the Spirit is not to start with the Spirit, but rather to start with Jesus. That the Spirit helps us, teaches us, tells us how to love Jesus. The sole purpose of the promise that God gives is so that way we could love Jesus. Here's what Jesus teaches, starting in verse 15. If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. Now, this seems like a funny way to introduce the Spirit, right? If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. But this is very important, that it starts with the love of Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you love me, then you're going to listen to me. If you love me, then you're going you're gonna to learn from me. If you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. If you love me, then you will live for me. It starts with the love of Jesus. In fact, this is the major theme throughout this entire section about loving Jesus. And, and Jesus actually says this five times in these verses. The first one is in 15 where he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. So the idea is that if you love Jesus, well, then you're going to listen to him. That if you love Jesus, well, then you're going to live for him. See, living for Jesus is the natural byproduct of our love for Jesus. If you love Jesus, well, then you're going to obey his commands. But conversely, he says that if you're not living for him, if you're not obeying him, if you're not following him and his commands, well, there's something wrong with your love. That if it's not evident in your life, then there's something broken in your love. And and so Jesus compares and contrasts, if you love me, then you will keep my commands. But what, what I love so much about Jesus is he doesn't, he, he doesn't expect us to do something that he is unable or unwilling to do himself. And that Jesus is our great example. He, he goes before us and he lives the perfect life and shows us how we shall live. And he, he, he says this, jumping down to verse 31. He says, but I do as the Father commands. 
So Jesus loves and listens to the Father and he lives for the Father and he obeys the Father's commands. So Jesus goes before us and Jesus shows us what this looks like. And so he says, I obey the Father's commands so that the world may know that I love the Father. This is so incredibly important and this is the reason that I wanted to start this series on the Holy Spirit by focusing in on Jesus' words. Some people would say, well, the Holy Spirit shows up in, in, in the book of Acts. That's where it really gets cooking. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit shows up all over the Bible. Actually, 800 times in the Bible does it mention the Holy Spirit. And the clearest teachings on the Spirit is in John chapter 14, where Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit is all about loving Jesus. But I want you to see something, that obeying Jesus' commands is not the same thing as loving him. Did you see that? Did you notice that? Did you catch that? Let's read it again in verse 15. If you love me, then you will keep my commands. See, Jesus doesn't start with, with the rules. He doesn't start with, here's my commands, now love me. No, he starts opposite. He says, if you love me, then you will keep my commands. The natural byproduct for our love for Jesus is that we, we want to live for him. See, a lot of Christians, they go through life on their own efforts. They go through life on their own abilities to be able to live their own life. They say, if I can just do these things, then God will love me. If I can just earn God's grace, if I can earn God's favor, if I can earn God's mercy, then maybe he'll give me the Holy Spirit. And, and they think and they come up with this long list of commands for the ways that they ought to live their life so that they can be holy and pious and pleasing to God, that they can keep all the rules. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says it starts with love. That if you love me, and, and we grow close together and we're in relationship with one another and, and you listen to me, the natural result of loving Jesus is living for him. See, Jesus starts with, with love. Now, whenever me and Ashley first started dating, um, we were 19 years old and I lived uh, here and she lived in Houston. We had a long distance relationship and, uh, and I met Ashley, I saw Ashley and I thought, I just want to be with Ashley. That, and she was beautiful, she was, she, she was smart, she was funny, she was short. I just, I wanted to be with Ashley. Nobody made me want to be with Ashley. I, I, I wanted to be with Ashley. I saw her and I knew that's the girl that I, that I want to be with. And I would do anything so that way I could be with her. Now, nobody made me do those things, but I wanted to do those things. Nobody made me stay up on the phone talking to her at 3 o'clock in the morning. I wanted to do those things because I, because I loved her. Nobody made me text her all throughout the day. And when we were dating, we didn't have smartphones. We had dumb phones and we had T9. And so it took a long time to text. But nobody made me text her throughout the day. I did it because I wanted to. Nobody made me take her out on dates. I did it because I wanted to. I remember I was working for my grandfather's pipe fabrication shop and I was doing construction labor job and it was like a Tuesday. And I got off of work and I just wanted to spend time with her. And so sweaty, nasty, dirty, I jumped in my car, drove all the way to Houston, picked her up, took her out for dinner and a movie, dropped her off at her mom's house, drove all the way back at midnight, talking to her on the phone, get home, wake up an hour later and go back to work. Why? Because I loved her. Nobody made me do those things. I did those things out of my love for her. Do you see this? That when you love Jesus, the natural result is that way you will live for him. Now, me and Ashley have been together for 12 years now. August will be our 10-year wedding anniversary. And some of you are thinking, well, now that you've gotten to know Ashley and now that you've gotten to spend time with Ashley, do you still love her? Yes, I love her even more. 
I love her more. And that, that our, our communications changed, our affections have changed, our families have changed, right? But, and, and our relationship has changed, praise God. But my love continues to grow. That our love continues to grow. And now imagine if somebody came up to me and they were like, well, Byron, tell me about Ashley, right? Tell me about marriage. And my response was, well, I made a vow. No, right? Wrong answer. Wrong. No lady wants to hear, oh, you're stuck with me. No lady wants to hear that. that. That's not very romantic, right? Imagine if when I think about marriage, I'm like, oh, a ball and chain. That's what I've always wanted my whole life. Right? What if the only reason why I'm faithful to my wife is because it's against the rules? Right? No lady's like, oh, where do I meet a man like that? Soulless, life-sucking, agonizing marriage. Where do I meet that guy? Definitely not redemption, that's for sure. Amen? <laughs> Nobody wants that, but that's what we tend to do with our relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. If you reduce the Christian life down to a series of do's and don'ts, not only is it unenjoyable, it's also unbiblical. That at the core, Christianity, spirit-filled living is all about loving Jesus. That's what it's about. Who is Jesus? How has Jesus loved me? How has Jesus saved me? How has Jesus changed me? What does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? How do I love Jesus? By being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that the more you love Jesus, the more you spend time with Jesus, the more you draw closer to Jesus, the more you'll want to live for him and the more you'll want to please him because it's the natural byproduct. Now, Jesus understands that you're going to need help. Jesus knows that, that, that you're not going to be able to do it. Jesus knows that on your own, you try and you fail and you're still not going to do it. And this is the reason that Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. Because the best you can do on your own effort is rules. And to be honest, rules is not good enough. You're going to need relationship and that's guaranteed through the, through the Spirit. See, Jesus knows we need help. Okay, Jesus knows that people are going to drive you crazy. Jesus knows that that, that boss is going to be calling, the kids are going to be screaming, your email is going to be overflowing. Jesus knows that somebody's going to cut you off on I-10. Jesus knows that you're going to wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He knows that you're going to say things you shouldn't say, do things that you shouldn't do, not do the things that you're supposed to do. Jesus knows that you can't do it. He also knows that there's going to be doubt, there's going to be despair, and there's going to be depression. He knows that some days you're going to read the Bible that's not going to make any sense, and he knows that some days you're going to wake up and you're going to feel a million miles away from him. And in that day, the last thing you need is rules. So he gives us relationship. And he does this by giving us the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us, enables us to be able to love Jesus. So that's his job. So we can love Jesus. Well, Jesus says the Holy Spirit does something else. That the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need to know. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay? The Holy Spirit is God. This is one of the clearest teachings of the doctrine of the Trinity in the entire Bible. All of the Trinity is active and involved in this verse and in your life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. All Christians through all times have believed in the doctrine of the Trinity. There's one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That they are co-equal 
that they, they, they existed in eternity past and, and they are perfect unity, harmony, adoration, and relationship with one another. So you need to know that our God is a relational God in his essence. That God didn't make us because he was lonely, because he was perfectly satisfied within himself by the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and so, so out of this relationship, God created us. And God created us in his image and likeness so that way we could be in this relationship as well. And so we were designed this way. But our first parents, Adam and Eve, they fell. They sinned. They rebelled. And they separated us from God. And subsequently, every person who has been born ever since does so separated from God that we have not lived according to God's commands. And so the Father, out of his love for us, sends his Son. He sent, Jesus sent by the Father to, to, to be um, our, our, our advocate, or to be rather our ransom that Jesus is sent to, to live the perfect life, to die the death in our place, to seek and to save the lost and the sinners. And so Jesus goes to the cross. And after the cross, he ascends back into heaven and Jesus asks the Father to send the Holy Spirit. And so God, the Father, through the Son, sends the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit for us today is sending us as a church that we have a relational God who is sent and sending. And all of this is by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And I love this. How long does Jesus say the Spirit will be with us? How long? Forever. Forever. That God doesn't leave us. That God doesn't abandon us. That God doesn't forget us. That God doesn't desert us but rather he makes his home within us. That the Holy Spirit is God with us. And so he's sent by Jesus. I, I just love that. And he knows that you're going to need it. He knows that you're going to need help. He knows that it's going to be hard. He knows that it's going to be difficult. And so Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Well, the third thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit helps us to live for Jesus. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. See, spirit of truth, right? Spirit and truth. The Holy Spirit and the truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Here Jesus introduces us to the Holy Spirit and he calls him the helper. Okay, He actually uses that word five times in this section of scriptures. It In the Greek is paraclete, which literally means to come alongside. Next week we're going to get into all of that, what that looks like in your life and, and how that applies to us. But for now, I just want you to simply think of the Holy Spirit as the helper. What does it mean to be a helper? I'll give you a personal illustration that happened this week from my own life. Now, I have a little girl. Uh, she's 13 months old. Okay, she's super cute. She's totally adorable, and she can make a mess out of anything. Like, I don't even know how it's possible sometimes. Sometimes I see it, I'm like, I'm not even mad. Like, that's, that's, that's pretty impressive, right? I, I don't know how she does it, but, but as she's testing the bounds of her independence, right, she, she, sometimes it's hard for us to give her affection and still get things done around the house, right? And so what we started doing is we, we, we're trying to teach her how to, how to help out, right? She, she can't pay rent, so she's got to do something to earn her keep. And so we want her to help out around the house. And so the other day I was doing laundry. Yes, dudes can do laundry. Guys take notes, ladies, amen, right? Okay, so um, now that's clear. So I was doing laundry the other day and, um, and she was just kind of running around the room making a little mess. And so I thought, well, uh, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll pull her up on the bed and um, she'll be my little helper. 
And so she's going she's gonna to help me. And so I sat her there and said, okay, you know, Daddy's going to fold some clothes and I want you to, to help me. And she just kind of drooled on herself. And so I, I put all the cloth on the bed. And, and, and so as soon as I put some towels on the bed, she threw them off the bed. And, and, and as soon as I, as soon as I fold, folded clothes, she unfolded the clothes. And as soon as I got everything together, she, she made a mess. And she was not a lot of help in that moment. That's not the way the Holy Spirit helps us. Okay? In that moment, she wasn't the helper. I was the helper. That I was helping her to know that her father loved her. I was helping her to be included in the family. I was helping her to, to, to learn. I was helping her to grow. I was helping her to be able to understand. And I was helping her do something that on her own would be impossible. See, I was the helper. And that's the same way that the Holy Spirit helps you. That the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and says, here's who the Father is. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of you in your life and says, no, 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 you're a part of the family of God now. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and says, here's some things I want you to know. Here's some things that I want you to grow in. Here's some things that I want you to be able to understand. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and helps us by giving us energy, ability. He gives us, he, he gives us gifts and he gives us the power to do things that on our own would be impossible. And the Holy Spirit helps us to live for Jesus. Well, the Holy Spirit does another thing in verse 4. So how is it possible for us to live for Jesus? Well, number four, the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus. Here's how he says it. We, okay, the Trinity. Jesus says we, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, we in relationship will come to him and make our home with him. That when you become a Christian, God makes your heart his home. This is a mind-bending truth when you understand this, that the moment that you become a Christian, when you place your hope and your faith and your trust in the Lordship of Jesus for your life, God makes his home in your hearts. God, right, the creator of the universe, the God who breathes stars into existence, the God who flings galaxies across the universe, the God who paints with gold on the horizons, the God who made you in your mother's womb, the God who exists outside of universe and space and time, the God who made everything you touch and taste and feel and sense and smell. God lives in you. This is incredible that he makes his home in your heart. This, this is amazing. And I, I want you to, to grasp this. I want you to be able to understand this, that what you have available for you through the cross of Christ is something that people in the Bible only dreamed of. Did you know that people in the Old Testament, they couldn't experience the presence of God like we do? Did you know that? That they couldn't just, they couldn't experience the presence of God because God's presence then dwelt in temples. He didn't live in people, he lived in temples. And so if you wanted to experience the presence of God, you would have to go to a temple. But because of the cross of Christ and his resurrection, God doesn't live in temples, he lives in people. That you and I, we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit and God makes his home in our hearts. And I just feel impressed to say this. If you grasp this, this, if you think I have a boring life, Right? Why? You have God in you. How could you not be excited and passionate and thriving about what God wants to do in you? God lives in you. 
This should change you, set you on fire to be able to know I can be confident, I can be bold, I can be encouraged at any place, any time, because God dwells in me. What we have, we are so privileged. We are so privileged because of what Jesus has done. That, that because of the cross, because of his, not only are our sins forgiven, but he lives in us. See, this goes back to that relationship. He wants to be near you. He wants to be close to you. He wants to be, he wants to be with you. He wants to be in you. And so the Spirit dwells in you. Wherever you go, wherever you're at, that's where he is. You're never alone. You're never forgotten. He's always, always, always with you. You know, you can experience the, the presence of Jesus anywhere. Anywhere you go, you can experience the presence of Jesus. Because where you go, you take him with you. He's already there. Wherever you're at, he's there. So in your car, you can experience the presence of Jesus. In your home, you can experience the presence of Jesus. On your own, you can experience the presence of Jesus. In a gathering like this as a church, you can experience the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit at work or in your car. Right? You can experience this because wherever you go, that's where he's at. I remember when me and Ashley... Um, we went to Enchanted Rock. We love to go, love to go camping. And so we went out to Enchanted Rock. And, um, and, and Enchanted Rock is this monolithic dome out in West Texas. And uh, it was a holy place for Native Americans and apparently hipsters. Okay, Because when we went, we didn't see Native Americans. We did see a lot of hipsters. Um, and they were all up on top of the rock dome. And they were like sitting in the, yoga, the, the lotus position, doing yoga, eating granola, and doing chants and meditations. And uh, they said that it made me feel close to God. And so we're like, well, this is pretty cool. And we looked across and then we kind of pitched our tent and then we got in the car and we drove home. And I turned to my wife and I said, you know, I feel just as close to God here in the car than I ever did on that mountain. Because the Spirit lives in you. This is amazing. That you can be close to Him anywhere, anytime, any place, regardless of what you're going through. So He's the presence of Jesus. Number five, the Holy Spirit does something else. He teaches us about Jesus. Verse 26. But the helper, there's our word again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Have you ever been reading the Bible and then all of a sudden it makes sense? Has that ever happened to you? You're reading it and you're like, this word is alive. It leaps off the page down in my heart. And at first I didn't really get it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, this totally makes sense. It's like God's speaking to me through his word. That's because he does. If you ever read the Bible and then it just makes sense, that's the Holy Spirit. I remember when I, before I was a Christian, I would read the Bible and I'm like, yeah, people really believe this? Like, I would read it, I'm like, I don't really understand this. It was like, like words on a page, and as I, as I read it, I think, okay, right, seriously. A virgin having a baby who raised from the dead, right, woo you people are crazy, right? People really believe this, and then the moment that I became a Christian, something changed. I had this, I had this desire to read the Bible. I had, this, I had this longing, this wanting. I had this, I had this hunger for God's word and I just wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to study the Bible. I wanted to get around people who read the Bible. I joined community groups and I started going to church and I started reading and I started to love the scriptures because they came alive to me. And as I would read it, I'm like, I understand this. It was like it came alive, jumped into my heart, changed my life. And I didn't understand everything. 
And to be honest, sometimes I didn't agree with everything. I had a lot of questions and I had a lot of, had a lot of reservations, but I'll tell you this. After 12 years of following Jesus and reading the Bible, I've never been disappointed. I've never been frustrated, right? I've always had, I've always had something happen and God reveal himself to me in new ways through reading the scriptures and it comes alive because Jesus is blessed by the Spirit when he teaches the book. See, Jesus, through the Spirit, takes the Word of God, applies it to the people of God through the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit loves to teach us about Jesus. This is why I lose my mind, right? When people are like, well, you can't focus too much on the Bible because then you'll miss out on the Holy Spirit. I'm like, seriously? Like, have you, have you read the book? Like, the Spirit's job is to teach us the book. That's his, that's his job. And some people are like, well, if you focus too much on the Spirit, you'll miss out on Jesus. And if you focus on Jesus, you'll miss out on the Spirit. That's not how any of this works, right? The Spirit's job is to take the book that he wrote. He wrote the book. He wants you to read the book. And so he wrote the book. He blesses the book. And he teaches you about Jesus through this book. And this is why it's so important for us to teach the Bible here at Redemption. We love the Bible. We teach the Bible. It's the all-sufficient final rule and authority in the life of the believer, and we teach the Bible. As soon as this series is over, starting in April, we're going to start a 57-week series through the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to teach the Bible, and we're going to preach the Bible because we love the Scriptures. And here's why it's so important, because the Spirit loves to bless this book. And this is the reason that when I'm preaching right now, some of you who are not even Christians, you, you came here wondering who Jesus was. Well, the Spirit led you here before you ever stepped in the door to meet you here. And while I'm preaching today, you're hearing this and you say, this is who Jesus is. And Jesus is pulling on your heart and he's tugging on your heart and he's saying, don't you want to give your life to Jesus? Don't you want to surrender to Jesus? Don't you want Jesus to change your life? Here's all the things that are available to you through Jesus. If you would give your life to Jesus and you feel the Spirit working in you and some of you, you're new Christians, that you're just figuring out how all of this works, and the Holy Spirit is encouraging you, and he's building your faith, and he's giving you strength, because the Holy Spirit's blessing his book. Some of you, you've been Christians for 50 years, and you're hearing this sermon, and it's, it is building that faith you had when you first believed, and you're hearing this sermon, and you're knowing there's more possible, there's more God available to you, and the Spirit's working in you, because the Spirit loves to teach us about Jesus. Regardless of where you're at on the continuum, he's working. And he does that through his book. Amen. Because the Spirit teaches us about Jesus. Well, the Spirit does something else. The Spirit is also the peace of Jesus. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Here Jesus is telling his disciples, okay, our time's up. That we've been together for the last three years. That you've seen some amazing things. You've seen me preach. You've seen me teach. You've seen healings. You've seen miracles. You've seen signs. You've seen wonders. You've seen amazing things. But I need you to know, that's not the reason that I came. And over the course of this series, you're going to hear us talk about some of these amazing things. You're going to hear us talk about, you're going to hear us talk about miracles, and you're going to hear us talk about healings, and you're going to hear us talk about spiritual gifts, and you're going to hear us teach on tongues and prophecy, and you're going to hear us see about how the Holy Spirit empowers us. But I need you to know, that's not the reason Jesus came. That Jesus came to atone for our sins. Jesus tells him, he, he says, I, I, I've come, and all these things reveal who I am. 
But I've came to live the perfect life. I've came to live the life you can't. I've came to die the death that you deserve. I've come to resurrect so that way your sins can be forgiven, that we can be in relationship with one another. I'm going to sin to the right hand of the Father where I'm going to be King of kings and Lord of lords and I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. Now, why would Jesus promise peace through the Spirit for his disciples? Because they're about to experience the most painful and difficult moment in their entire life. They need peace. He makes them this great promise, but then he says, peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to bring you my peace. See, the disciples, they're about to go through the most painful, difficult moment in their life. They're going to watch their Messiah be murdered. And then the Jewish authorities and the Roman government are going to oppress them. They're going to persecute them. They're going to be dispersed all across the world. And 11 out of the 12 die horrendous deaths as martyrs. They can't do it on their own. Most difficult, painful place. And so the Spirit comes to give them the peace that they need. So what's the most difficult moment of your life? Okay, I was talking with my wife this week as we grabbed lunch, and hands down for both of us, same thing. The most difficult moment of our life was six years ago. What I know most of you guys know is I have a beautiful little girl. She's 13 months old. It's hard for me to preach a sermon without ever mentioning her, but what you might not know is we also have another kid who's in heaven. I believe is in heaven. When I was about 26, 27 years old, Ashley told me for the first time that I was going to be a dad. And I was so excited. I'm like, I'm going to be a dad. And I'm thrilled. And I I began to go tell some people. And I I told my grandparents, and she told her parents. And we're, we're getting really excited. And we scheduled our first doctor's appointment. And we went, and they were like, yep, you're pregnant. Good job. And then we started planning, we started praying, we started planning, we started panicking, and then we started praying some more, and, and we scheduled that next doctor's appointment, and we knew that our life was going to change forever. And it was that second appointment it did, and it only took two words, I'm sorry. In that moment, I felt alone. In that moment, I felt my whole world crashing down. It was like the air was just sucked out of my body. It was like my life was a movie and somebody just turned it off. I felt so alone. I felt so hopeless. I looked at my wife and she's absolutely devastated. And I, I just remember thinking, what? What? God, how? Why? Me, right? I'm a pastor. My job is to teach people about the Bible. I've done everything for you. I've left everything for you. God, why are you doing this to me? And I felt so alone. And the doctor walked out of the room. But in that moment, I felt a third person in the room. In that moment, I felt the the, the presence, the peace of Jesus through the Spirit enter into that room and just wrap his arms around us. And and I I could just, and the, the more I've hurt, the closer I've experienced the presence of God. 
And in that moment, I could feel the peace of Jesus. Now, I'm I'm not telling you that everything was perfect because it was hard. I'm not telling you that it didn't hurt because it hurt like hell. I'm not going to tell you that everything was perfect afterwards because we prayed and we begged and we lamented and we argued and we fought with God for five and a half years to give us another kid. But I never felt alone. That as I hurt, I could feel the presence and the peace of Jesus through the Spirit. And as we grieved, the Spirit wrapped His arms and He grieved. And as we wept, the Spirit wept with us. And every time we needed Him, He was always right there for us. And that the Spirit gave us peace. Because life is difficult. Life is hard. Life does hurt. And you're going to need help. You can't do it on your own. And so many of us, we go through our life on our own. Jesus promises us so much more through the Holy Spirit. Some of you right now, you need this promise of the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you're not Christians. Whether it's your first time, whether you've had preconceived notions about who Jesus is, or you've been sitting in church for 50 years thinking you are one, but you're not. Because your life is not marked by the Spirit. And you know that there's something more that God has for you, and today you want the Spirit. I want to know that promise is available for you. Some of you, you're walking through the most difficult moments in your life and you're trying to do it alone. You need the Holy Spirit. This promise that God has given you is available for you and we want you to receive the Holy Spirit. Some of you, 2018, you're making big plans and plans are great, but you need a promise. And so 2018, for some of you, it could be the best year of your life. For some of you, it's going to be the most difficult year of your life. We don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future and he's made you a promise to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. God has more for you. God has more available for you. And God has made a promise to you by Jesus through the Spirit, a promise that he wants to keep. So here's how we're going to close. We're going to close by giving you the opportunity to receive the Spirit. We're going to, the band's going to come up and they're going to play, but we're not going to get up and we're not going to leave and we're not going to take communion yet. We just want to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We want to ask the Holy Spirit to to be with us. And we want to give our lives to Jesus because it's all about loving Jesus first. And if you have not given your life to Jesus, give your life to Jesus. If there's areas in your life where you're not loving and living for Jesus, give your life to Jesus. If something is happening in your life, then you need to give that to Jesus. And it starts with loving Jesus. If you want the Spirit, it starts with Jesus. So we're going to pray and we're going to listen as the Spirit speaks. Some of you, you're going to be moved by the Spirit while we're praying. And I want you to come forward and our prayer team will want to pray for you. Some of you, you're going to hear the Spirit speak to you maybe for the first time as we sit here. He's going to love you. He's going to lead you. He's going to encourage you. And I want you to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And then we're going to take communion. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. But I don't want you to leave just yet. I want you to experience what the Spirit has. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, You can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.